Hey guys, check out Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp, a fully updated second edition, reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. To pick up a copy today, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to The Next Generation. I'm Victoria Cecce. Join me as we chat with young Italian wine people shaking up the wine scene. We're going to geek out on a grape or grape fam, then hear about all the wild wine things our guests have been up to, from vineyard experiments to their favorite wine bars. Hello, hello. It is time for The Next Generation, and that's why you're here. Hello. Let's get into our great party. I'm diving right into it today. Hopefully you have a glass in hand. If it is actually morning where you are, shouldn't advise you to do that, but you do as you please. It is time for another round of Next Generation with some great Italian grape talk, then a really cool, groovy human being coming on named Gemma from South Africa. Really excited for today. We are going to talk about a grape group that I absolutely adore. Now, let's be real. We don't always adore all the grapes, okay? It's like parents always have a favorite. They never want to say it. I'm not a parent. I shouldn't even say that. There are a lot of grapes to learn, explore, and love in Italy. But this grape group is some of my favorites. One of the ones I adore, just historically speaking and wine speaking, and also because The grapes in this group always get confused, and it's so good to dive into it. And can you guess what it is? Greco. The Greco group. So today I'm just going to talk about the group, and then the next episodes I will dive into the specific varietals so you can know the difference, and you can be a smarter Italian grape person than wine person. Ready? Let's get going with Greco. So the Greco group. Now, you're probably thinking Greco di Tufo because... Uh, it's the most famous, I would say, uh, wine with Greco in it, but that is Greco. That is a white variety in the Greco group. And then there is also Greco Bianco. Okay. They're two different grape varieties. It's kind of hard because one has a short, punchy Greco and the other one's Greco Bianco. So it's like, oh, you got to keep it. And obviously both of them are white great varieties. So you also have to keep that in mind. And then there are other group members. So you have Greco Giallo, Greco Moro, both white. Then there's Greco Nero, which is very rare because I've heard of it before. I've never seen it as a wine. And we actually don't have a tremendous amount of information on it in this book, I don't believe. It might be in the really rare varieties. I'm going to dive in and find out. But moving on. So Although it possesses a short and sweet name, understanding the Greco group can be somewhat challenging, as I was saying straight from the book. While some of the similar sounding varieties that bear the Greco prefix were in fact imported from Greece, many were not. Ooh. Oh, yes. So I love when things just turn. You know, you're like, Greco, gotta be Greek. Not all the time, honey. You never judge a book by its cover. We know this. Going back to it. So the Greco reference in a grape name was popular almost as a brand. And some invented spellings were thrown into the mix. Grecetto, Grecanico, etc. To maintain the original Grecos distinct from each other. So to know how they were different, their color, giallo, bianco, or an associated town of origin, di tufo, di was added to their names. 
the brand type of popularity led to quite a collection of Greco name varieties, almost all though are not related. That's why it's a Greco group, not a family. And so before, well, you're gonna have to wait till the next episode to go into each variety. But as you can now speculate, you know, Greco di Tufo, very, very well known. And then Ischia, its own thing. Um, so that's what you need to know about Greco. It is very much a bit confusing. <laughs> but to give the lowdown right now, really quick before we dive in with Gemma, who's here in the studio, Greco is its own grape. Greco Bianco is its own grape. Greco Giallo is its own grape. Greco Moro, own grape. Greco Nero, own grape. Grecetto, own grape. Grecanico, own grape. Okay? Got it? Cool. Let's get to the interview. Tal Gemma, welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. How are you feeling today? I am okay. I mean, we've just finished writing our Vin Italy exam, Italian Wine Ambassadors exam, so nerves are still all over the place, but uh, yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really bad, actually, that <laughs> I made you do an interview right after. It wasn't, it was a collective decision. It wasn't just my <laughs> choice. <laughs> you know, we're, we're slim on hours with Vin Italy, yeah, just definitely. that tsunami wave. heading for uh, us. So where are you traveling from? So I am from Johannesburg, South Africa. Cool. uh, Which is in, for those who don't know, the northern part of South Africa. So very far away from any wine regions. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's where I'm from. Cool. And so how did you find out about Via? I actually found out about it through uh, Pedro Belli, who did it last year. And he's back with us this year again to redo the exam. And um, he imports Italian wine, so we worked together quite closely when I ran an Italian wine bar in Joburg, um, Johannesburg. Sorry, Joburg. Joburg. That's cool. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> usually what we refer to Johannesburg as, but everyone's been giving me funny looks. So I have to keep correcting myself. Uh, but Joburg or Josie is what we refer to it back then. Oh, don't correct it if that's what you call it there. And yeah. Own it. I love it. And so, how did um, more importantly, how did you fall in love with Italian wine? Sure. Okay, that's the story. So, I mean, I've always been very, uh, for my local wines, my South African wines, that's been my specialty. I think, obviously, just being in South Africa and being so insulated there, that's naturally where you fall into. And uh, the the restaurant that I was working for a few years ago, it was an Italian pizza place, Neapolitan Pizza. And during COVID, we had to adapt strategies a little bit. So we had all of this empty floor space because no one was sitting down. Everyone was doing the whole takeaway thing. And we were like, how can we utilize this floor space? Um, And then at the same time, they had brought me in to improve their wine program. So I think the most obvious answer was always going to be a wine solution. And the result was a very tiny Italian wine bar. Uh, specializing in purely in Italian wines, which was a first in Joburg. I mean, there's other there's other Italian restaurants that sell Italian wines, but there's no there's very little wine bars, let alone one purely dedicated to Italian wines. So there was no South African ones in there. And um, yeah, I had to naturally start picking up on it a lot more. I'd learned about Italian wines through WSET and all of those other things. And I had to do a deep dive very quickly <laughs> so that I could actually tell people what they were drinking because the, interna- the South African market has very, very little knowledge about international wines. And most of them are like, you know, your classic Bordeaux, Burgundies, all of those stereotypical ones. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where it developed. I started falling in love with Italian wines. The more I looked into them, the more I researched them, the more I sold them to people. And then obviously the more I tasted them as well. And just realizing that there was a whole 
different wine spectrum out there, which I know Sarah talks a lot about in her in her tastings. Um, and things that were a lot more relatable as well. I find a lot of the Italian wines, especially the ones further south, are a lot more relatable to our South African palates than those further north and all of the French and the Germans. And it developed from there, I'd say. Just kind of snowballed and, yeah, went with it. Super. Yeah. And so... Like, well, I've heard, I've never been to South Africa, but I've mm-hmm. heard that at least I think, I know Cape Town's very uh, different than Johannesburg or Joburg, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I heard they have a really awesome, like, wine bar, like, wine scene in general. Cape Town, yes. So Cape Town's got quite an extensive wine bar scene just mm-hmm. because it is the wine capital. Yeah. So, I mean, it's right in the middle of the winelands. And then Joburg, we struggled with it for a very long time. So there were some wine bars a few years back, but they weren't very well run. They weren't run by wine people or, you know, people interested in wine and didn't actually have a formal background. And, um, yeah, a lot of them just weren't geared towards the wine education and approachability that we need there because there's so little education amongst the consumer. So they didn't last very long. And then obviously the whole pandemic situation killed them. I know we're still talking about that. But oh, yeah. yeah. You guys had the alcohol ban, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, so we had a full alcohol ban in South Africa during uh, COVID, yeah. So that was obviously very tough on just the wine bars in general because if you've got nothing else going for you, what are you going to do? Which is kind of ironic that our Italian wine bar came from it, but it was post all of those bans. So yeah, they, they after COVID, there was nothing. There was literally nothing. And then myself and... My boss at the time opened a separate wine bar called Mr. Pants, <laughs> where he does, a, he does quite a few Italian things as well, a lot of international stuff. And then I opened up the Italian wine bar. So we were the only two in Joburg for a little bit. Um, oh. Now there's another one and then mine that I've just opened up as well. So, oh, you opened up a wine yeah, bar. Yeah. So I subsequently left the Italian wine bar, which was very sad and very heartbreaking. That was very difficult for me to do, but I did it so that I could open up my own space. So I now have my own food and wine bar, which is one of four official wine bars in Joburg. There's a couple of others that are in the works. I can't really talk about them because they're still in the planning phases, but there are more opening up soon. And I'm very excited to see because there's a lot of uh, the Joburg wine scene's growing very fast. And it's a very exciting time to be there and see how people are growing with it. So, Mm, And what's the name of your wine bar? Acid. 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 Wow. Yeah. As in like the acid in wine and food and all of that. Drugs. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the automatic assumption. When I first pitched this idea to people and investors, they were like, why is it acid? And I had to be like, no, it's about, you know, acid in food, acid in wine, tying everything together, creating balance amongst them, which is very much a concept that we want to do in our business. And then, yeah, there's always the question about where the hidden menu is with the secret stash of drugs somewhere. But. No, I think it's fantastic. It's mm. short and punchy like acid. Which is what we're trying to do. We're trying to be a little bit more in your face and just kind of disrupt the industry a little bit that side. So, Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond meeting winemakers, eating local food, and taking in the scenery. Now back to the show. Yeah. So I feel I feel like your entry into the Italian wine world officially with the previous wine bar was like kind of blessing in disguise because since you had like an alcohol ban, people probably were more open to mm. trying different things because it's like if you're not allowed to buy things, so 
you know, regularly, yeah. it's like, what do you have? You exactly, know? exactly. So uh, it definitely opened up people's minds and palates in, in the consumer industry. Um, a lot of people couldn't travel. So they'd, instead of spending their money traveling abroad to go to different places and different restaurants, they would spend that money internally within South Africa and look for different experiences. Um, there was also, I mean, a lot of the, the famous brands that we would normally get, because you always get the big name brands mm-hmm. when it's international stuff, they were snatched up really quickly, but also we couldn't get new containers in very easily. I mean, there was like eight to 10 month delays on all the shipping oh. containers coming in. So people had to drink what was there. Yeah. And a lot of that was these little known Italian brands and varietals that they hadn't been drinking before. And now they were like, cool, let's, let's try something different. Let's see what's going on there. So that, that really was a blessing in disguise there through that. That's, and that, it's also like a really fortunate thing because when you start with the more obscure wines, it almost it, it makes you more open-minded just from the start. And, and of course, it's great to have the classics and it's, of course, it's great to know them. And I say this from experience because Mm. my entry into the Italian wine world was not from like the classic formal. (laughs) Like there's certain things I should know better still that I don't. It's just the way I entered into the wine world. And but I think it's great because you just kind of your palate is is habituated, but it can handle diversity more. It can kind of be like, oh, it's more explorative, explorative. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Adventurous. And you're and yeah, you're less you're not comparing it to like I hate to say this, but some kind of antiquated benchmark you yeah. know what I mean yeah um which is fantastic is there a wine or a couple wines that you are serving at your wine bar that you're really digging are, are we talking South African or Italian now oh I mean would you <laughs> wait let's go back can you pick between the two or do you have a love for both of them that's so tough hey because I mean I love Italian wine there's a reason mm-hmm. why I'm here there's a reason why I'm doing this and I do thoroughly enjoy Italian wines and the culture and the history behind it and also I think just the the gusto behind it like the um just people are so excited about it yeah passion you know, exactly the passion there we go you know I love the passion behind it and the willingness to invest in it you know as a capsule commodity you know that people see so much value in it and I think that energy around it, I absolutely love. My heart is always in South Africa, though. <laughs> I'm absolutely loyal to South Africa and our wines. And like I said, it's a very exciting time, not just within the consumer market, but within the winemaking industry as well. There's a lot of young up-and-coming winemakers that are coming into the scene and doing really cool things mm. and shaking things up. And it's, it's about time. So, yeah, it's, it's a twofold situation. Yeah, I mean, I and you see the same in Italy with the kind mm. of the young generation of mm. winemakers coming from all different angles, doing really cool things mm. and very, very different terroirs and mm. uh, wine regions. It's actually funny. I very briefly sold wine in New York, yeah. and I we used to have a strong South African portfolio. Awesome. Yeah, well, it was, like, small but mighty, and we yeah. had, like, the hip, like, at that time, which they're still popular now, like, do you know, like, Craven and yes. J.H. Meyer? Yes. And they're the so... The natural guys. The natural guys. <laughs> and they were so cool. Like, it was, like, when they would come to, to town, I was like, you guys are so cool. Like, I want to go to South <laughs> Africa and see what's what's in the soil that's birthing all of you guys. Yeah, it's, it's the Swatland soil. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of crazy guys that side. Love them all. Um, Mick and Mick Craven, we call Stompy. Johan Mayer, we yeah. call him Stompy. Stompy, yep. Uh, yeah, and there's a bunch of other guys outside that are also doing like really, really cool stuff. The Swatland, Swatland Revolution mm-hmm. that happened a few years ago is all about pushing the boundaries in terms of like natural winemaking mm-hmm. and just, you know, doing some really cool stuff there. And, you know, Swatland's very dry and 
a lot of old vines yes, and stuff as well. So oh, yeah, a lot of like dry farming happening yes, in that area because yeah. it's very conducive and yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's exactly that. And I'm, I'm sure you know the history of South Africa very mm. briefly, but we were very inhibited in what we could do in terms of winemaking for a very long time. Mm. So we've only been really experimental in terms of our winemaking in the last 20, 30 years. And obviously it takes time for people to come up into that. And I think now is when a lot of it is happening. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, and it, it's only natural that you're looking into Italian wines because mm. to an extent, that's kind of how the a lot of wine regions that mm. people love today in Italy are the same in mm. the sense of the last 20 years. Yeah. There were major changes and in investments and mm. people going back and saying, hey, like Sicily. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the wines everyone drinks from Sicily. Again, there are more like historical, like the date back to the 70s and 80s, especially like Etna, you know. Yeah. But even Etna, like in the sense of popularity and the way mm. it was marketed, that's the last 15 years, you know. Yeah. And I think that's something that's interesting at least I find very interesting about Italian wine and food yes. is a lot of the, and I wouldn't say things that are new, but yeah. like the reason that they're popular or they're eaten or they're drink or whatever it is, is because of things that happen it within a lifetime. Yes. It's very innovative. Yes. You know, which is something that I was very surprised by because whenever we talk about Italian wines, we talk about the native grape varieties. Mm. I mean, you look at this um, Italian ambassador course and we talk about the history dating back like hundreds, thousands of years. And it's, it's, the idea of it before you get into it is very much that it's old school and, you know, traditional and all of those things. And then the more you get into it and the more you learn about it and you see how much innovation is happening while still holding on to those traditions, you know, taking what works and expanding on it and doing new things. And that's also something that's quite inspiring, I think, and something that we can look at applying back home. So... Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That balance of new and old mm. and understanding the his, the history and the evolution and how that affects um, what you're drinking today and how it is and how, you know, the different communities have affected the wines. And, and uh, yeah. And it, again, it goes back to our topic earlier about mm. um, about the classics and the new stuff. Right. And then also a lot of them using similar or the same varietals that are yeah. you know, thousand years old or what have you. It keeps you in this rabbit hole that is Italian wine <laughs> because you're always learning something new about something. And then yeah. you're, I love being wrong. Yeah. Maybe not in the moment, but. Yeah, in hindsight. In hindsight, being <laughs> yeah. wrong is great. And it's always with Italian wine where someone will say something and I'm like, what? Or like you, you drink something. I remember uh, a friend of mine blind tasted me mm. on a wine. And. Again, this is not an Italian varietal, but it was a Pinot Noir from Piemonte. Yeah. And I couldn't guess it because I, like, had that, like, kind of campanilismo, like, kind of, like, um, you know how, like, Italians have very regional pride in a lot of things. Yeah. So when I heard it was Piemonte, I was like, there's nowhere in this Pinot Noir. I know it's close yeah. to France, but I also, like, you know, yeah. I didn't know the history of it at the time because I yeah. didn't really study it. And so when it was, it, like, opened me up to another, you know side where I was like mm. well I never really studied this and I really didn't even know about this so like <laughs> I was like wrong obviously yeah, yeah no it's exactly that I mean I think that's been a massive thing about doing this course as well is just seeing how much more there is to mm. it and to these varieties because I had a similar thing where I was like no I'm not going to be putting Pinot, Pinot Noirs and all of those on my list when I was still running the Italian wine bar because I want to be you know, um, accurate to what is Italian wine and coming into this and realizing that there is so much more to it and what we consider native and what we don't. And yeah, um, but you get you on that. Yeah. <laughs> and then you sit there for a minute and you're like, yeah. hmm, okay. What bye. do I know anymore? Do I know anything what? about no, wine? No, I'm, I, 
going to come back next year and yeah. do the same thing and be like, I know nothing. I know absolutely nothing. There's going to be like a million new things that I'm going to learn, which I suppose is also what's great about the wine mm-hmm. industry. You never stop learning about wine. I think absolutely. that's what fascinates me a lot about it is the fact that there's always something new to learn or there's always something new to do or ways to expand on it. And yeah, it never ends. And nope, it never, never ends. <laughs> but as we are coming to the ending of our little chat on the podcast. Mm. I want to ask you a very important question, mm. um, especially now that you have a new wine bar, which is your, the education is all in your hands. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you see yourself going about making wine more open, Italian wine, obviously, mm. more open and interesting to the younger generations? Sure. Yeah, that's that's kind of been my mission for a while now. And that was exactly why I opened my wine bar in the first place, was to make wines in general more accessible um, specifically wines that you wouldn't normally come across. So that's the whole premise of it. So my wine list is purely everything's available by the glass. My staff are very well trained. I've organized my wine list non-traditionally. So it's not the usual organized according to region and this and vintages and all of those things that actually confuse a lot of consumers when they don't know what's going on. So I've restructured it in a way that is a lot more accessible and a lot easier to read. Um, That's just on my wine list. Like I said, I do training with my staff every week. We do these wine Wednesdays where every Wednesday we get a new winemaker or wine rep or someone who represents an area or portfolio and they come in and they take over the bar and they hand out samples and they chat to people about it and we do a cool food menu. So that's that's just kind of what we've done there specifically in terms of making it more accessible. And the idea is currently it's all local. And the idea is to bring in more Italian, which is a very big reason why I wanted to be here as well. So just just figuring out the way that the consumer brain works and making it more approachable for them in that manner. And also just supporting the guys that don't always get represented. So, yeah, like I said, that's that's what I've done with my local market there. So I've taken all independent producers, those young guys we don't always see in the big list. They're not commercial wineries. A lot of female and black and brown producers as well because, you know, we need more of that leverage there in South Africa. And the idea is to do the same thing in terms of Italian wines within the bar. So bring in all of the smaller producers that you don't normally come across when you do come across Italian wines. So not as many of the big names, make them more accessible, do more wine tastings, do more masterclasses. A very big part of our long-term plan is to introduce more of those educational aspects. So do more masterclasses that are accessible to the consumer. It's not a full-on WACT. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has to come yeah. into a whole Vinitaly course to understand Italian wine, but just enough to say, okay, cool, this is what's in my glass and I can appreciate it for what it is and not because of the name on the label. Mm-hmm or the region that it comes from. I mean, obviously those are important, but it should be about just having a good time at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah, sorry, I I went on a bit there. I don't know if I actually answered your question. No, no, you did. No, in very great detail. You told us your whole plan. Hopefully no one steals it, but just kidding. They they can steal it. You know, if it means we get more wine bars out there educating people, then great. You know, take my model and run with it. Yeah, exactly. And I I think, no, that's fantastic. Education is a tricky one. Mm. But once you find the balance of making, like you said, making people feel that it's approachable Mm. and it's fun while Mm. also absorbing information Mm. it when you find that balance for yourself it's just an amazing thing there's nothing better than seeing someone be really excited about learning 100 percent. and it's like the only thing that makes me want to be around children (laughs) i'm not kidding i love i mean that's another topic i love kids i do but like for another day we need a whole podcast for that (laughs) yes but the best moment is like teaching you know your godchild how to cook something and they're like wow i always talk about the light bulb moment 
Yes. So when we when we teach people, so I teach a lot of the hotel school kids. Mm-hmm. I do the WST level one and mm-hmm. two uh, courses mm-hmm. in Joburg there, and um, I most of them are there because they have to be part of their course. You know, they have to mm-hmm. pass it to pass their exams. They don't actually want to be there. And then we get in and we start teaching and we start going into the theory of wine and explaining all of it to them. And we get that little light bulb moment where I see a click behind their eyes and they're like, actually, this is really cool. You know, there's a lot more going on here than I thought. And I get that a lot at the bar as well when I start chatting to people. Because, I mean, at my bar, I'm physically behind the bar every night chatting to people and talking to them about the wines and trying to get them to try something a little bit different. And, um, yeah, it's the, it's that light bulb moment where you see them click and just be like, this is great. This is a new experience for me. This is something I enjoy. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yes, we need more light bulb moments, mm. especially in our for um, outside of Italy for the Italian wine community. Mm. Um, I want to say thank you so much, Demma, for thank coming you. on the podcast. <laughs> I wish you safe travels. Thank you. And best of luck on your results for your exam, which you'll find out in T-minus. Three hours. Yes. Four yeah. hours. Well, we'll find out if we pass or not. Yes. And when um, this is released, you will reflect on it. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> You'll be like, tr- remember this feeling when I'm sitting back home <laughs> after a 12-hour plane ride. And oh, my like, gosh. Yeah. And uh, remember all of these feelings that we were feeling. <laughs> all the feelings we're feeling. <laughs> yeah. All a right. lot of them. All right. Well, ciao, Gemma. And ciao, guys. We'll see you next time on The Pod. As always, a big grazie for hanging out with me today. Remember, you can catch me every Sunday on the Italian Wine Podcast, available anywhere you can get your pods.